Welcome to Making Conversations Count, the podcast where I bring you business leaders that share with me and you, the listeners, a moment, a pivotal moment that really has created a turning point in their life. I am so excited because today I have Nikki Pattinson. Hi, Nikki. Hiya, hiya. It's marvellous to be here. Thank you for even thinking about me. We have to thank the wonderful Louise Jones, good friend of mine and fan of yours. So uh, I'm sure she'll be downloading it on every platform that she can. Nikki, I know from looking at some of the interviews that you've done, you are what I would class as a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And you're not scared of having difficult conversations and bringing it to the fore for people to think about. Yeah, what you see is what you get. That's who I am. And it's got me into a lot of trouble over the years, but it's also got its graces. And I think it is me. I can't play games. You know, when I first started speaking all those years ago, people said, oh, crikey, that accent, she swears a bit, you know, blah, blah, don't we all? People kept saying, you got to change. you got to calm it down. you got to... But calm it down to what? Somebody that isn't real, those people are ten a penny. So, yeah, absolutely. Not everybody likes it, but some people do. And you are what you are. I just am very grateful for anybody that listens and likes what I say. I've liked everything that I've heard so far, and I'm just thrilled to be chatting with you today. You know, somebody who likes to communicate. You get up on stage and you present to people. What do you talk about in your presentations, Nikki? It used to be all about sales. Long story, at 16, my first job was in a shoe shop. I sold more shoes in one day than anybody else could sell in a week. Wendy, I had no clue how I were doing it. I just knew it happened. Now I can tell you every wink of the eye, every wave of the hand as to what put that money in that till. And I mean, I've worked in all kinds of industries and, you know, long, long story. Me and my ex-husband had a market stall in Uddersfield selling cakes and biscuits. Now, I don't often big myself up, but hellfire. I reckon that we had one of the most successful market stalls in the country, if not the most successful. We took a business selling overmate cakes and biscuits from a thousand pounds a week to just shy of two million a year. And this is going back 30 years now. That was serious, serious money. But we were 10% more expensive than anybody else. All selling the same thing. They were queuing out of the f- doors. You know, nine till half five, Monday till Saturday night, you could not get near us. We had five stalls in the end altogether. But it wasn't the stock It was the way that we made people feel in our presence. And if only I'd have known at that time, but it's more about advanced connection, advanced communication, be someone, not everyone, how to be seen, how to resonate, how to be someone in the world. And that comes in many guises and it's taken me to so many places, but it started in that shoe shop and on that market stall. Yeah. Now, not my first job, but I worked the trade as well on the markets. Jeans and jackets, Saturdays and before and after school on a Tuesday. And it was a fantastic community of people to be involved with. And I get it. They don't want that. Can I help you, madam? Do they? They want, how are you? What are you doing today then? You got anything nice planned? 
they want to be made to feel quite special, don't they? We had a very particular way that took our customers to a very particular range of feelings. And I used to just sit and study, as I do now when I'm doing these projects. You know, I'll watch and I'll I'll look to see what people are feeling. And then it's like, well, what do we need people to feel to trigger something that gets them to buy or to resonate with us or whatever it is that we're trying to get people to do. And it's almost like acting, but we're not acting because it's actually more real than real. And that's what I learned on those markets. We taught every single person that I worked with, that we worked with, and there were about 45 part-time staff at one time, but we taught all those people how to take those customers to two emotions. One was belonging, one was validation. It were Maggie Thatcher's years, that's where we were in society. And I worked out very quickly that my audience was single parents and low-income families who had very little to belong to and didn't feel they had a value. I tell you what, Wendy, when they left our stall, they did. And they were addicted to coming back to us because we knew exactly how to take them to those feelings of connection. And isn't it funny, if somebody had said in those days, you know what, you're going to lose everything. You're going to be in a place where people have to leave bags of food on the step, where you're going to be terrified that you're going to be homeless. I would have laughed. But if only I'd have known that because of all that, I would have had all this. Isn't it funny where life takes you? I think there's an awful lot to be said for emotional intelligence that, yes, we've all got a role to play. We've all got a job to do. But ultimately... To me, certainly, it's about the experience that if you can't sort of at the end of the day feel satisfied that you've given everything that you possibly could and you've not took advantage. And I mean that in a negative sense of the word advantage, because, you know, let's face it, as women on market stalls, you'd flirt, you'd have a bit of banter. And I think that's the same for men as well. So I'm not talking sexism or anything like that. But it is just about being able to spot that you can make somebody smile wider on their face. Mm. Yeah. And it's the phraseology. So I talk a lot about transphraseology. What I mean by that is that when we say exactly what everybody else in that industry says, it puts the listener, the recipient of the words and the phraseology into a bit of a trance because we've heard it so many times. So in retail, you're right there. Can I help you? No, I'm fine. Thanks. That's our auto (laughs) response. But it's our auto response because we've heard that phraseology so many times that just doesn't hit our consciousness. So not only do we delete the words, but we delete the people saying it as well. And honestly, I've done these projects and I've thought, you know what? They're sending these young people and these returners to work out onto them shop floors. And I don't just work in retail and telling them to walk up to people and ask them if they're all right and if they can help them (laughs) and when they get rejected deleted more than a few times they begin to think it's them it's not it's the words it's the body language that you're using and every industry has its own trans phraseology we're conditioned as children because our parents will say oh you shouldn't do that and the kids go la 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 As kids, we stop listening to what we don't want to hear too. Yeah, it's no wonder. But the thing is, and I guess what I do these days is I look at people 
a look at businesses. We'll look at the emotions we need to take people to. We'll look at who people really are. Not who people have told them they are, who you really are. And then we find the words and the phraseology that ignites people, that gets people to see you. And honest to God, I've just done a Zoom of my own this morning for one of my own Be Someone Not Everyone Over 40 and Beyond course. It filled up overnight and we've already got a waiting list for the next one. But it's funny because I interviewed someone that I worked with who is now a top makeup artist. And it was fascinating when we talked about there we were in Selfridges and all we did was change the tone, change the words, change the body language slightly. We tripled overnight. I can never see how people can't see it. You know, same in law firms. You know, I can't see how they can't see what we can see. Well, they can when the money goes it till Wendy. I'll tell you, when them truffling <laughs> backs are start going, suddenly the eyes are opened and our Nikki ain't quite so funny. It's focus though, isn't it? It depends what your focus is. If you put people at the centre of everything that you do, then you're going to take notice of what you're saying and how you're saying it and how people are reacting to you. That's really where you're making those conversations count. Yeah. If you're, all you're going to do is put your goals at the centre and you know whatever financial reward or target that you want to set yourself at front and centre, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you really are you in a human connectivity no put the friendships put the business friendships first and the brass will follow and i could tell you honest to god you can make a connection with somebody in a millisecond you don't need to know somebody 20 years you know i like to think that when people meet me they wouldn't know me any better if they spent 20 years with me but me and adam sidwell the makeup artist we were talking this morning about how those customers many a time had just uggers before they went i worked at the airports i mean again we tripled everything we touched but people would start to walk to the gate and they'd come and hug me and Paul Williams, who is now senior manager at Christian Dior. But we work together and people come and hug you because very quickly we'd melted the reserves. It was soul to soul, not customer to salesperson. That's the difference. And that's the skills that people need now because that's where the planet is going. And I think you're right. I heard a phrase this morning we might be physically distanced, but we're socially connected. Yeah. It's understanding that, you know, I'm missing my hugs so much. I'm having to hug my husband every day. It's (laughs) a real trial. Even my brother yesterday on the phone, oh, sis, I'm missing my hugs. And I'm like, well, it won't be forever. Well, I Mm. hope it won't be forever anyway. It is about people. And I think you're right, Nikki, you know, you've got to touch people's soul, break down those barriers, reach inside, pull them out and go, come on, this is the real world. And meanwhile, while we're not physically together, we've got to get very adept at sending those emails, writing those Facebook posts and immediately connecting on Zoom because the world is becoming ever more saturated. The good thing is that 99.9% of all the people that you meet say the same as everybody else, which is why I call my, I mean, my little strap line these days is be someone, not everyone. And in so many cases, people speak like everyone. How the hell are we going to create resonance and get elevated from those words that everybody says? Got to find out who you are. And that's the end of it. You didn't mention phone calls. That's my speciality, you know, pick up the phone. 
you know, mm. make sure that people can hear you. I'm loving sending voice messages over all platforms now. You know, if there's a notification or something I want to say to somebody, I will just send them a voice message because I think that's where I can really say, I mean this. What yeah. I'm saying to you, mm. I mean it. I love voice messages and I love Marco Polo, the app. That's brilliant. <laughs> Get on to my, all my friends in America. We all, because at time zones, we all speak over Marco Polo. It's amazing. What a great app. Get it downloaded. Hi, <laughs> get on it and send me a message. I will. I've got to write it down though now or I'll forget. Nikki, I ask everybody to come on the show with a pivotal moment, a conversation that changed. Are you ready to yep. share? I've had a very up and down life, a lot of heartbreak. A lot of amazing experiences that other people can only dream of. And not that much in between, actually. <laughs> and there's some conversations that you never forget as long as you live. And at the time, they break you. But then you look back and you go, nah, that was a pivotal moment that were meant to happen to set me off on another trajectory. So can I just start by saying that there's no malice in me talking about this conversation. It happened. It's part of my life. And I thank my ex-husband from the bottom of my heart for saying what he said now and ending the marriage, basically. So for anybody that knows me, my first son, Jackson, he died at nursery at four months and two days old. And they put it down as cot death, but it was no cot death. Witnesses came forward afterwards to say what had actually happened. And at that time, I didn't take any court action. I was broken and all the money in the world would never have put that boy back in my arms. And I have to say, just to finish that little bit of it, people often say, how do you feel now 31 years later? Because it's always going to be yesterday. Well, I still miss the man that it would be, that I'd be arguing over the dishwasher, that I'd be taking to Selfridges like I do his brother and buying him, you know, Ralph Lauren shirts or shopping or eating or doing the things that, that you do with your adult children. I'll miss him to the day that I die. So when all this happened to Jackson, me and my ex-husband, we, we got the top cop death specialist in Europe. And we went to London to see him and they gave us like this oxygen monitor that only me and my ex-husband could use. Nobody else could use it. So there was only me or him could babysit. And imagine the stress because the f***ing beeper went off every two minutes, day and night. You know, not that there was a problem, but maybe a lead had come undone or... I'd not been anywhere for six weeks. I'd sat with my second son with all these monitors on for six weeks. I was exhausted. I needed a break. It wasn't a great marriage anyway. I would imagine be... you were under immense strain anyway, oh. just because of what had happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My me, me father was struck dumb. He couldn't speak. Uh, it took him days to get his voice back. My mother went straight down with a, a bad heart. The grief, he was the first grandchild, the first boy in the family for 70 years. I really needed to go out this particular Friday. My husband played squash, so every single night, well, we thought, that is another story, that he were playing squash. So every night my husband would go out and I'd been on my own with the baby all day and I'd be there all night, he'd go out. This particular Friday, it was a Wednesday, and I said, 
do you know what? I really need to go out on Friday. Some of my friends are going out. Will you babysit? And he just said, I'm not babysitting. I always go out on a Friday. I go to the same Italian with my friends and I am going. I said, please, come on. So I thought, oh, he won't. He won't do that. He won't do that. He won't do that. The Friday came and I said, so are you going to let me go out? He goes, get yourself a babysitter. I said, I can't get a babysitter because nobody else can work the equipment. So off he went and the morning after I got up and at that time there was always cash in drawers and I pulled some cash out of a drawer and I just said, right, there's the baby, there's the monitor, there's the nappies and the food, I'm going out. So he said, well, you've got to be back for four o'clock because I'm out again tonight, I'm playing squash and then I'm going out. And we had like a double winding staircase and I got to the first level and I just said, no, I will come back when I am ready to come back. He called me name, called me Nicola. He goes, Nicola. And I turned and he just looked and he said, that's you all over. You've killed one baby. Now you're just trying to get rid of the other. And I just looked and it went all the way to the bottom of my soul. It was the end. And I just said, your marriage just finished. Your marriage just came to the end. And it took another couple of years for me to actually get out of it. But I can't even begin to tell you the damage those words did. I let it permeate my soul. But looking back, and I genuinely mean this, people don't say things like that unless they've broken themselves. You know, unless they've had experiences that have taken them to, maybe we're just terrified and couldn't say, I don't know. But I thank God that he did that because the marriage did end, but I still had how we did it on the markets. And I have had this amazing, amazing life. And sometimes, you know, we may have been married forever without that. Who knows? We might just have bobbed along forever with him going out every night and me doing whatever. But I just thank God because it sent me onto another trajectory because I knew when I heard those words, I was completely alone. And then, you know, my mother died shortly after that. My father died shortly after that. And there was just me and a four-year-old little boy. And it was those words that made me realize I would be completely alone on the planet for a time. And thank God, because we haven't done bad from it. Interestingly, a similar thing happened last year with somebody I was in a long-term relationship with. And again, you know, completely out of the blue, very similar words, just scathing to the soul. And I were devastated. You know, I were devastated to hear the same thing happening again. However, I can tell you again, I look back and think, thank God, because again, I went on a completely different trajectory that people only ever dream of. So I'm very grateful to both of those people. I'm not that bothered for having it happening again, but I'm very <laughs> grateful. I'm grateful to those people. And you know what? That sounds like a bit trite, doesn't it? Oh, I'm great. But I am because opportunities are coming now for this old bird that only come along once in many, many lifetimes, Wendy. And I perhaps wouldn't have taken them up 
with the hand clapping that I'm doing now, had I had somewhere to put my head on somebody's shoulder on a night thinking I was going to be there till pension. Do you know what, Nikki? You've given me goosebumps because being right at the bottom of those stairs, hearing those words was devastating for me to hear. And I can completely understand that gratitude because if anything, that's just kind of made you dig a lot deeper Mm. to make sure you make more of it. And it's on Mm. your own terms. You know, I genuinely believe that we all move in soul groups that somewhere in other lives we would have met. You can pull up at the side of a bus stop and see an old lady with wobbly lipstick and look into her eyes. That's probably me, actually. <laughs> and look into her eyes and there's a connection. And you'd never know each other any better in 100 years if you sat and talked. You, know, you just know. And maybe before we came here, me... My ex-husband, my ex-boyfriend, my son, my mother, my father. People in my life that have been significant and pivotal, that have either held me up or nearly killed me. My ex-husband might have said, I'm going to say this to you, I'm going to nearly kill you. But I'll tell you what, it'll put you on a trajectory because I will fully release you that day because you would have hung on if I don't do that. Maybe my son said, maybe Jackson said, Mum... You're going to choose this nursery for me and, you know, it's going to be extreme negligence. It's going to be very difficult, but, and it will nearly kill you, but you'll go on to help people that have lost children because you'll know what it feels like and it'll put you on a trajectory to somewhere that other people can't dream of. And my mum and dad had a strange, you know, I'm vegan because I live, you know, my parents had a beef farm and I, God, the stuff I used to see and hear. And it makes you different but creates an intensity in your soul that you would f- anything off to get to the place that you see yourself being. So I thank God for that. I really do. Nikki, it's a powerful, pivotal moment. I'm humbled for you to share it with us today. I'm guessing there's going to be an awful lot of people that will be touched by your story and maybe even been through something similar and can resonate with what you've said. If they want to reach out to you, Nikki, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, Nikki at NikkiPattinson.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on at Nicker on Twitter or Insta. But can I just say one other thing? Because there is one thing that it's really left me with when people say nice things to me. Can't stop crying. And it's a bit of a problem when I've been doing the gigs because they can't stand up there going, right, today's speaker is, and then say, do you know what? She's an absolute dipstick. And, uh, you know, don't bother listening to her because she's rubbish. But when people start to say, you know, boom, she did this, she tripled there, da-da-da, I've really got to fight back the tears. There is, I don't have a shield against it. And yeah, it's really strange. Words change everything, good and bad. And actually, they can both make you cry in a similar way because laughing and crying are actually very similar emotions. Yeah. It's when you combine the two and then you wet yourself. We'll just, ah! leave, we'll just leave it with on that note, I think. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, I'm just getting over flipping COVID. That's why I'm coughing. 
I'm so glad to see you looking well. I know that you've had a rough patch. Nikki, honestly, you're going to continue to be that magnetic personality oh, that I've grown you. to love. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please just say hello. Might take me a couple of days, but I always, always come back to you. Thank you. She does. She really does. Thank you for listening, everybody. Don't forget, if you have any comments, let us know. We do reply to them all. Make sure you share this with your friends and family. You can subscribe always at www.makingconversationscount.studio forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Take care.